back to remote watch everybody um it's been a while <laughs> we apologize I, we had a lot going on <laughs> yeah our lives have been a bit crazy these days but we always love to come back to remote watch and you know share a single brain so honestly i feel like i'm lacking when i don't so i'm glad we're back well I miss doing this in case it's your first time here. I'm Kaylee. I'm currently in London sharing my the one brain cell is Julia. She's in New York doing all the things. I love her. (laughs) (laughs) All the things. Um, If it's your first time here, we have been friends for a while. We met in London and now we are we bonded over our love of TV and movies, and now we're continuing to do so from a distance. So continue to support us. Our friendship is free, but, you know, we'd love an audience. <laughs> our friendship is free. <laughs> I mean, I give you love. No, and you give me love back. So It's reciprocative. <laughs> All right. So this week, we'll just jump right into it. Um, it's a double feature. We've got back-to-back talking about two anachronistic period shows that came out roughly around the same time. It's Catherine called Birdie. Would I choose to die rather than be forced to marry? I do not think either option appealing or fair. And Rosalind. Are you going to break them up? Of course I am. Romeo and Juliet. Doesn't even sound right. I was surprised that we are doing this. We've done period dramas before, but now it's a bit like a coming of age story, growing pains type of thing. Um, So I'm excited. Do you want to get into like a short summary of... I'll pick Rosalind to summarize. Go ahead. Because I love Romeo and Juliet retellings. Um, There's this really good YA novel by Chloe Gong. Uh, It's called uh, These Violent Delights. Just a little shout out for that one because that one's like set in 1920s Shanghai. It's a Romeo and Juliet retelling. I love the Baz Luhrmann, Romeo plus Juliet. It's one of the things that I tell people that's my kind of movie. It's like you get all of the old timey dialogue except is like 1990s Los Angeles. (laughs) And it's insane. It's like Baz Luhrmann. And this time around, we have Rosalind. So Rosalind is told from the perspective of Rosalind and Romeo and Juliet and how she is so in love with Romeo, except her cousin gets in the way. And it's, you know, loving someone so much, except why do I love him? Except I really want my boyfriend back. And how she navigates that in her movie through other lovers pursuing her and making decisions that might not be for the best or and learning that being selfish it wouldn't get you anywhere and true love will happen eventually somehow (laughs) yeah that's the best way to summarize that (laughs) yeah it really is to be honest um it's kind of inspiring but I think we'll get into the nitty-gritty of it um in a few because We're also covering Catherine called Birdie, which has a similar premise in that we've got a young woman who's kind of being set up for marriage for different circumstances than Rosalind or kind of similar because back in the day, it was like you married for money. Um, Cue that uh, Florence Pugh, Amy speech from Little Women of we are all this marriage is a transaction or something like that. Um, Uh, Marriage is an economic proposition. Exactly. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, So that's exactly what I mean. That's kind of the premise of Catherine called Birdie. Um, so essentially, it's about this young woman named Catherine, but we we call her Birdie. 
She lives in the 1200s. Her brother is a monk, and to appear more learned, she writes a journal to give to him and tell about her life. In the meantime, her father's kind of made the family broke, and the only way they can make any sort of income is to use her as a transaction and marry her off to the next suitable um, suitor, I guess, to save the family. So these are the two movies we'll be talking about at length. I don't think spoiling it would ruin too much of your enjoyment of these two films. However, it would be more enjoyable to listen to us talk about, go in depth about it as well if you've seen it before. So here's where we kind of pause all the non-spoilery stuff and dive deep into it. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, first off, we should start with, you know, what did you know about the films before starting them? Why did you want to watch them? Is there anything that you knew about perhaps any of it beforehand? Well, obviously, uh, I knew Romeo and Juliet because I went to high school (laughs) and did English. Um, But it's also because I really like Caitlin Dever. And I loved her in Booksmart. She's also headlining a movie with like uh, Julia Roberts and George Clooney right now that's in cinemas that I haven't checked out yet, but I love her and want to check out all of her things. As for Catherine called Birdie, it's circling around my Twitter ad, my Amazon Prime ads, because I had to cancel my Prime because of a student and having no money. Uh- <laughs> And so it was just being advertised to me. And obviously Twitter was talking about it because uh, Lena Dunham is not the most well-liked person on the internet, but everyone liked this movie. So I felt that it was enough to check it out. And also I really liked Bella Ramsey because I loved her in Game of Thrones. I loved her uh, as the voice of Hilda. She's like perfect. And I can't wait for her show with Pedro Pascal. Uh, that uh, Last of Us. She's gonna be in the last. Why She's did gonna I be not in know Last this? of Us? Okay, now I have to see the Last of Us. I was gonna watch it for Pedro, but now I'll watch it for Bella. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So what about like, you? Like you, I was an English major, so I encountered Romeo and Juliet. Took a whole Shakespeare class. Um. Remembered Rosalind being mentioned, but kind of had like a. I remember thinking negatively about her because I think the story is that like Romeo loves her, but she doesn't love him back. Um, that it was unrequited in that way not necessarily like how the movie plays it out Um, although I might be wrong about that because granted I still need to do my research again but for Catherine called Birdie the only thing I knew about it was that Billy Piper and Andrew Scott were in it and that's all I needed to know to watch something I like if you've seen heard remote watch before I'm a massive Doctor Who fan so I gotta support Rose Tyler we've had an episode on Fleabag any opportunity to talk about the hot priest will happen um so yeah I was really here so I was here for Rosalind for the original story but here for Catherine called Birdie for whoever was in it did you see that Tumblr thing not Tumblr thing it was on TikTok it was on TikTok and someone was like oh my god it's priests from Fleabag doing this and then they're just like priests from Fleabag I remember when they used to call him Moriarty from (laughs) (laughs) a lot of that's been going around um especially these days with Matt Smith and House of the Dragon. I saw the BAFTAs had put out a TikTok of um, when Benedict Cumberbatch and Matt Smith gave an award to Stephen Moffat. And back in 2014, that was Sherlock and the Doctor. And that made sense because Stephen Moffat ran those shows. But the caption that the BAFTAs decided to put was, when an Avenger and a Targaryen walk in the same building and the comments were like, 
get it right they are sherlock and the doctor this is like that me it's kind of niche meme of like uh do not uh cite the sacred text for i was there when it was written (laughs) (laughs) if you weren't there for the tumblr era you cannot speak (laughs) To be honest, this movie felt like something that would hit me in all my sensibilities as a teenager because of like how, you know, it's like the feminist themes and like how modernizing the period drama, which, you know, it's not the first thing that's doing it. Um, We're coming onto a trend, if you will, like, you know, Bridgerton, the Netflix Persuasion movie. And now we have these two. But, you know, we're bringing that sort of, period drama but with a feminist lens and a more modern take with modern tunes uh you pointed out that these two movies have somewhat of the same plot but it's a sort of a different way that it's made in terms of expressing how the female uh, leads felt in their duties so like Rosalind understandably she she doesn't want to marry because she wants to marry Romeo the lover of her life. Whereas mm. Bertie just really wants to live her own life. And um, her outward pressure is more from her father. And like, well, both of their pressures are from their father. So like, what do you think? Just uh, what do you think about that in general? I thought it was interesting because I it was funny. I started Rosalind before I started Catherine called Bertie. And then I read the description for Catherine called Birdie and I was like, I'm about to watch the same film. Um, what is the point? <laughs> Granted, they both Rosalind and Birdie have the issue of, yeah, my dad wants me to marry somebody and it's all a transaction because we need to survive. But their perspectives on it are completely different. And it's strange because every time you see a story that's like, well, she's the ultimate feminist because she doesn't want to get married and she wants her own independence or whatever. It's kind of interesting to see how each film takes that and manifests it into something else. Well, basically for Rosalind, you know, she starts off in a relationship with Romeo. It's literally, they're going Romeo and Rosalind, Romeo and Rosalind, which already sounds wrong because it's like, no, honey, it's been Juliet. She's always, she's always been there. Um, but it was interesting to see that she was so against getting married and in the end the lesson for her is that she can love someone she's not even looking at and Rosalind the film to be honest felt like a high school story um like a coming like obviously it's a coming of age story but it felt like if you place these characters in a modern day high school you would not question it like she even had the stereotypical gay best friend it's the same thing. What I will say about the stereotypical gay best friend thing, I feel like in most retellings of Romeo and Juliet, they always have that though. Like um, in one of the more recent ones that I've seen, it's Anne Juliet, the musical. Mm-hmm. And like she has a non-binary best friend who is around a lot. And I was just like, well, we're going to have all of this. This is great. And Anjali is great, by the way, if you guys want to check out musicals. Yeah, I mean, there's discourse that like the LGBTQ community has been present in Shakespeare stories for the long t- long time. Like I said, I was an English major. I took a Shakespeare class and we had a whole class on, um, I believe it was the Merchant of Venice and a whole scene about swords. And my professor kept going, you see, that's a phallic symbol. Oh, that's come fa- on. <laughs> and for anyone who doesn't, like for the layman's terms, she's basically spending an hour and a half going, that's a dick. That's what that is. <laughs> this is something I want to like point out as well. It's like we're bringing a lot of um, modern day issues into, I mean, 
obviously there probably were issues of like um gay people being around and everywhere during those periods of time but like we never hear their stories or we they're never mentioned as being in the background where and we have whole classes that have like have to have subtext to see whether mm-hmm. like oh my god dicks swords or as like <laughs> <laughs> and here it's more in your face in these two adaptations where um Paris is gay and does not exactly want to marry Juliet he's just delaying it and Bertie's best friend is also like not into girls yeah so I I, I enjoyed that and yeah. it's a little fun little tidbit for us. What's interesting is that um, I noticed that some of the discourse around Rosalind is that they're saying it's not um, kind of faithful to Shakespeare. Oh, it doesn't they're have like, to be Shakespeare. It doesn't to have to be, exactly. Like I said, if you took these characters and put them in a high school, it's the same story. Um, but it's easier for us to eat it up because we all know the story of Romeo and Juliet. They were the star-crust lovers who never got to survive. But in terms of what I said about the class, like Rosalind has been a pretty faithful adaptation, I believe, of Romeo and Juliet. It's just kind of like an alternate universe. And an alternate Rosalind got universe. more attention. Yeah. And Rosalind was more involved and had her own agency in uh, trying to do the right thing. And making sure that the two star-crossed lovers don't die, except they, mm-hmm. when they do not die, they have nothing else in common. <laughs> <laughs> I love the little like boat end scene. <laughs> it's all in the heat of the moment. And I'm kind of glad that, you know, a lot of these adaptations are focusing on the heat of the moment. Um, or someone you hadn't noticed before, like Mr. Malcolm's List was the same thing. The characters kind of didn't really realize they were good for each other until the end. What I liked about Catherine called Birdie is that she realizes what's good for herself in the end. And then it was also a lesson for the father. Like he has to realize what's good for the family and not just for himself. I'm going to say something kind of controversial. I don't know if you'll like that I'm saying this. Go uh, ahead. I'm here for not, different opinions. <laughs> I did not like uh, Dad Andrew Scott specifically as Brady's dad like he's just gambling the money away Ooh. he feels that like <laughs> oh just by winning Brady back for the family I've redeemed myself um I don't think so man he's still got a lot of work to do I like that he fought for his daughter at the end, by the end of the movie because like you know we went through the journey with him but throughout the movie when uh, you know, Birdie was being rebellious against what he wanted her to be. Uh, he was not pleasant, and like that was not pleasant to watch. He put a bad taste in your mouth in the beginning. Um, I think the only reason I defend him so much, it's not for Birdie, it's for the scene where um, I don't remember the mother's name, where Billy Piper is giving birth. Um, and he's kind of like giving her a pep talk of, you know, I'm here for everyone and I'm here for you. Like, this is, I kept comparing Catherine called Birdie to House of the Dragon because literally there was the whole scene of like, Andrew tells everybody, you are not allowed to leave. She will have this baby. Whereas we've had like that scenario multiple times in House of the Dragon and you kind of have to see like, will the mom survive? Will the baby survive? What's going to happen after that? But like, finally, after seeing all that in House of the Dragon, <laughs> it was so nice to see it like a father be like okay no we're gonna get through this and we're gonna walk away with both mother and child i mean yeah that's fair enough i will say but however i don't know the men in the catherine cult birdie universe in general i just have like mm, i don't like all of you except for birdie's like childhood friend 
even her yeah. uncle I did not like like Taylor Swift's nepotism boyfriend was not it <laughs> honestly that was so sad because Joe Alwyn came on the screen and I know he's done other things but I was like oh there's Taylor Swift's boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> he has but like I don't know everything other thing that he's been in I just think like ah yes Taylor Swift's boyfriend <laughs> he was in a series for Sally Rooney and I can't and I we can't call him Taylor Swift's boyfriend yeah, he's still Taylor Swift's boyfriend <laughs> but no I okay so I didn't like the uncle only because he's supposed to have this big relationship with Catherine and he knows that Alice is her apparently sorry Birdie Birdie's her name Birdie's best friend is Alice why is George going out of his way to get in a relationship with someone the same age as Birdie and just her best friend Come on, you it's Viserys <laughs> and Rhaenyra situation. Stop. <laughs> Stop. Everything is House of the Dragon now. Catherine called Birdie as House of the Dragon. Lena Dunham wrote re-roll House of the Dragon. So for me, how I saw Joe Alwyn, I can't remember the uncle's name. I'm just gonna call him Joe Alwyn. Yeah, it's like we don't remember the characters' names, but if you hear Andrew Scott, like, Billy Piper, yeah, Joe there Alwyn, we go, yeah. AKA Taylor Swift's boyfriend, you know, we'll, just, who we'll, we we'll mean. keep calling Birdie Birdie, but everyone else is by actor's name. Yeah, even the brother was the guy from 1917. <laughs> I'm just gonna oh call these God. actors. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, I mean, that kind of came out of nowhere for me, to be fair. The brother and Alice. I was like, ah, yeah. love is everywhere, I suppose, even in these two people that never interacted prior to this. But okay, they're going to yeah. be sisters. Yeah. And then Alice was kind of like, well, there's nothing wrong. Can I get with your uncle? Um, Honey, why don't you talk to me first? <laughs> Granted, there was, okay, there was a bit of an incest situation. <clears throat> House of the Dragon. Um, <clears throat> but <laughs> but it, that was part of Bertie's up and coming. Like, she had a crush on her uncle and that was something for her to get over. That was something for her to mature and realize that perhaps her crush on her uncle was something else. Um, you know how when they say that your brain gets fully formed at like 25 and then that's when you finally start thinking back on things and realize maybe that was wrong or, oh, wait, that's a, some trauma I didn't know about. Um, I feel like Birdie had a bit of that in her little journal before, um, you know, she even turned 15. I think she's what? 14 in the whole movie well i will be fair to say that like most medieval people don't live past 40 that's <laughs> fair so she'd probably be considered <laughs> old age <laughs> by 20 she's already got like her midlife crisis by 14 <laughs> that would be considered a geriatric pregnancy <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> And this is why we connect through <laughs> cultural differences. It's also generational. <laughs> but um, I am glad you brought up the maturation and growth of Birdie as well. And like how it sort of parallels in like the Rosalind movie as well. Because like Rosalind is going through her own journey of realizing that like, you know, what I once thought love is isn't what actually love is like mm. and albeit it's a very high school thing but it's the lesson that she learns and you know how to be more receptive towards other people's wants so like if your cousin has a crush on your boyfriend who doesn't necessarily pay much attention to you 
maybe it's time to let go of your boyfriend. Yeah, I honestly spent a lot of time trying to figure out why she wanted Romeo. <laughs> it's the aesthetic attraction. For some reason, no. he looks like a bootleg Heath Ledger. And he I'm just does! Like, oh I my don't, god! I don't understand it. I kept thinking that the entire time. I was like, that's exactly why they hired this man. Right! The moment you see him with the hair like that, you're just thinking, oh my god, I, I kind of want to be watching... Uh, and things I hate about you right now. That was also a Shakespeare adaptation yes. that took place in a high school stop. <laughs> Shakespeare is high school. I feel like if the high school had drugs, Midsummer's Night's Dream could be a high school adaptation. That would be euphoria. Thank you. Oh, there we That's go. the end yeah. of my, my speech. <laughs> Coming from two people who have not seen euphoria. <laughs> high school on drugs is all you need for a Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> Hey, they have a play in Euphoria. Oh my god. It's Shakespeare. <laughs> it's a play. It's a play. <laughs> Catch Romeo and Juliet seeing Rosalind being like, is this play, is this fucking play about us? <laughs> so, I mean, we're talking about high school and we're talking about how it's, they're, they're both period pieces. So what do you think about how they work with like modern world lessons but also take place in a different time period i mean it's sort of like the time period services the story right so like the where we're placed in you sort of expect the story to go a certain direction Mm -hmm. so by you know putting it in the medieval eras and you kind of think ah it's patriarchal society we're not gonna listen to the girls and like uh the girls are gonna have a really difficult time to get their way on things which is not wrong that's exactly what it is but also when you see the girls succeed in being able to kind of get out of what's expected of them so you know uh Rosalind's able to talk back Birdie's able to talk back (laughs) and hit back um you get more satisfaction out of it especially because like you see the struggle the two of them have to go through so like uh rosalind's revolving table of dates and same with birdie's revolving table of dates so but by the end of it you know rosalind finds a very somehow she finds a very handsome a uh, person with all of his limbs intact from the war. What war? We don't know. Um, <laughs> and Birdie is able to have a few more years with her family, which is what she ultimately wants. She wants to be by her mom's side. She wants to meet her little sister. She wants to be with her best friend, who is also now her sister-in-law. And mm-hmm. it's really sweet. Yeah. I, what I thought was interesting about Rosalind was that, like, the lesson wasn't necessarily that she doesn't have to get married. It's that she has to see that it's not about her. It's about other people. And when she does that, she will find the love that she deserves. Um, and I'll be honest that the reason why I stopped paying attention to Romeo was because when Dario entered the picture, I wasn't paying attention to anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> like, Dario reminds me of an actor that I can't remember the name okay, of. Okay, he looks familiar to me too, but obviously it's not the same actor, but he looks like him, whoever that is. Like, he, 
like I'm I'm trying to think if we're talking about the same guy. It's the guy who plays Alec in Shadowhunters, right? Is that the same guy you're thinking about? Who are you thinking about? I don't oh no, you know what I'm thinking about? It's not even somebody who's acting. He looked like somebody I went to high school with. Oh Jesus. <laughs> no wonder you think this is a high school movie. Well, it is a high school movie. You literally yeah. had the scene of someone shirtless and the girl goes, oh my God, it's distracting. Can you put it away? Like, it's come on. The only thing we were missing from Rosalind was the uh, the big sports scene. Whatever football game or soccer game you have, like, it's not there. I mean, yeah, I guess. But also we have the typical prom scene where prom masquerade ball scene. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Make up right. for it, yeah. So I wrote down the question, is it more feminist to get the love you want in a partner or in your family? Because a lot of what people think is that, you know, feminists don't need anybody. They don't need no man. Like, they're on their own. They're independent. They're headstrong. They're girl boss. They're Wonder Woman. And to me, that's very blanket. It doesn't give any nuance. And what's good about both Rosalind and Catherine Called Birdie is that they uh, attack that nuance. Yes, we start off with women who don't want to get married. They want to do their own thing. They want to be left alone because their dad is like, you got to get married. But it's all about choice. In the end, Rosalind chooses to help her cousin and to choose Dario. In the end, Catherine gets to choose her life with her family, um, even though that was the choice she had the whole time. So in which case, I'm still kind of bad at Andrew Scott. I like, he's not on my shit list, though, so... <laughs> Not on your shit list. This guy gambled away the entire family fortune. That is why he's so well, He was there for the family when it okay. mattered. <laughs> <laughs> I will die on this hill. Okay. You're just giving him a like a pass because he's Andrew Scott. I feel yes. like if he was paid by a different <laughs> actor, you wouldn't be this lenient. No. <laughs> Ask me like a week from now. <laughs> I don't know, like, it was fun seeing the two of them, though, because I was just like, ah, yes, Rose Tyler and Moriarty, this is weird. Yeah, I was not expecting the two of them to be paired, but, um, really you knew, Bill, you knew the two of them were going to be in this movie, but you didn't think they were going to be paired? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept seeing the advertisements for the, the film, and it was just a lot of Andrew Scott and occasionally Billy Piper, so. that That is also this movie, though. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Damn. But what do you think about that question? Is it more feminist to get the love you want in a partner or in your family? Or do you have a different answer entirely? I think it's a somewhat similar answer to yours in that, you know, having to choose what's um, right for you. And it's the same way how feminism would look different from different people. So like, uh, obviously, you know, Bertie's younger and she she's less aware of like the social circumstances that she's in and she learns it over time and she tries to build what she can out of that and uh like you said the choices that she's making is to you know uh being there for her family and while also being able to have fun whereas like Rosalind is slightly older than Bertie and she uh she knows she thinks she knows what she wants, which is Romeo and uh, Happy Ever After somehow, despite the fact that uh, the Capulets and the Montagues will forever be at war and she would never tell anyone about her really secret relationship 
and to jeopardize that whereas learning afterwards to be more aware about how other people are also interacting in your world so Mm -hmm. I would say the answer is that feminism looks different for different people so and this is the case probably for most people that we know in our lives so like they make certain choices that's right for them and that doesn't necessarily make it wrong it's just what works for them Mm -hmm. and we should be respectful of that yeah yeah like I don't feel um I don't feel unsatisfied when Rosalind chooses to get with Dario. Um, you feel satisfied because she made that choice. But in in your point in saying that like feminism, it's, it looks different for everyone. What do you think about it being framed in a different time period? Do you think you feel different if it was actually based in a high school during this time? Mm. I feel like I'd still enjoy it, but it's also my personal taste in that I love these actors they have fun chemistry if I feel like if it were different i.e Laura Jean continuously picking Peter Laura Jean (laughs) yes I I will die on this hill she needs to pick John Ambrose whatever Uh, but yeah you know it's respecting the choices that they make you don't necessarily have to like them but um I definitely feel like if Rosalind was set in now and seeing her ride off into the sunset with Dario, that would still make me happy because she was able to get into a place where she was like uh, okay with her own decisions and everyone else wouldn't be hurt by that. And she, everyone was able to get a happy ever after. It's my kind of cheese. <laughs> and she was able to think about, like I said, other people and make her own choices and her own decisions. Um, and I think that also worked in Catherine called Birdie too, because by the end of it, Catherine is like, am I more learned now? And she she is. She really she is. is. She, yeah. she did mature. Um, and that's wonderful to see. Granted, it was her father who kind of saved her in the end with this random duel. But now she gets to tell her family how she feels about certain things. And I'm sure that if they go back and try to get her to marry someone else, you know. I think she'd be more receptive to it as long as it's a sensible person that they're marrying her right. to. Like Rosalind worked because it's about Rosalind, not about Romeo and Juliet. That is true. Like, I feel like it's always fun to look from the side character's perspective mm-hmm. on anything. So like when you want to do a retelling, do that. <laughs> Yeah, it's her world. Let's see it from her perspective. I'm like trying to think what's like a classic if that would be more enriched if we told it from a side character's perspective. No, I'm full on still thinking about like <laughs> what classic would be enhanced being told from a side character's perspective. So I pulled up a list of classics, except a lot of these are like they are side characters, like To Kill a Mockingbird. Um it's told from the perspective of a child she's not the main character of that's she is a main character she's the it, we're looking at it through her eyes but it's also like she would be the side character in any other scenario uh mm-hmm. the great gatsby is also already told oh yeah already told side side character. character yeah i didn't it's funny that you ran straight to the classics because i didn't uh-huh um I don't have a movie in mind, but anything with a miscommunication trope needs to be told from a side character. Ooh. I need someone to sit there and kind of say, yeah, I could have talked about this. Why didn't you? 
So why am I sitting here in this situation listening to you? Well, I guess that's because it's my perspective of being a side character half the time in half of these situations. I'm like, did you hear what so-and-so did? Or he did me wrong? Or can I talk to you? And I always have the thought of why didn't you just talk this out? Why didn't you try that already? Um, so I guess well, I have too much side character energy. But the thing is like, it's also not necessarily miscommunication outright. It's like, how much do you feel you're able to share with the other person? So like, we're going to bring in the example of Birdie, uh, Catherine Colkirk Birdie. So Birdie doesn't feel that her dad listens to her. That's why she rebels. And like, her dad doesn't necessarily give like a very hospitable environment for her to like share how she's feeling. So it's less of like a, oh, it's outright miscommunication. So I'm just like, I think it's growth that in that I'm starting to see like, okay, the miscommunication trope can survive. I'm not mad at it all the time now. So if there was a side character in Catherine called Birdie that we did a retelling, who would you pick? Alice. To be honest, her story seemed a little more interesting. Right? <laughs> <laughs> She's going to marry a nine-year-old boy. The nine-year-old boy dies of like... Fever. Some... He dies of a fever. He dies of a fever. And then she gets to marry the... Yeah, she gets to kiss uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend. She then marries a nine-year-old boy's life. And then and and then now she gets to marry like... Wait, wait, wait. Sweater. Do we do what? So you're telling me that Alice is actually the main character that Birdie was a side character this whole time because the things you are listing is stuff that would happen to a main character. <laughs> Holy shit. I think we just cracked something and she's writing about it. You know, she's like, well, yeah, we're mm-hmm. going through Birdie's life, but she's writing in her journal about, oh, Alice did this and Alice did that. Yeah. And then technically, is it through Edward's perspective because Birdie gives him the book, the journal that she's been writing? So or is that like- a stretch? <laughs> I think that that's a little bit of a stretch to me. Okay. There. Okay. How it like you know me reading a book doesn't mean that you're I'm a side character and I'm reading it from that perspective. I don't know. I mean, if you read it, you would absorb it. But if you explained it back to me, that's definitely your retelling. Fair, completely fair. <laughs> that's how um, stories work. Yeah, that's how they work. And then you play the game of telephone, and suddenly Romeo and Juliet died in one story, but then they survived in the other. <laughs> So you made a point to um to point out that like uh in our notes to say the source material endings for these stories are significantly different from what happens in the movies. You want to go in on that? Yeah. So I thought it was really interesting that they did that, and I wasn't sure if it was to be that whole we are a feminist film. So basically. If you're not familiar with Romeo and Juliet, if you're not familiar with it, that's insane. Go take an English class. Read a book. Read a book, exactly. Specifically the book that's already made since 1600. (laughs) Or go see it live because sometimes absorbing Shakespeare in person is better. Then again, that's the English major in me screaming. So the ending of Romeo and Juliet, because they are the main characters, um... What happens is the Montagues and the Capulets are fighting. They find out about their relationship. And so Romeo and Juliet are like, you know, we're going to get married and we're going to fake our own deaths. So people think that we died and we can live our own lives. Things go not well because it's a tragedy. Juliet takes a poison that makes her immobile. And that's true in Rosalind too. 
But the thing is, when Romeo sees Juliet appear dead, there is a complete mis- miscommunication. There you go. <laughs> that Juliet isn't dead. He never got the message. So he sees her looking dead and on our lives himself because he can't imagine living a life without her. Um, and so when Juliet finally wakes up from her little poison potion, she sees Romeo dead on the ground and Anna lives herself as well. So they don't survive the end of their story. The only reason they survived in this story is because someone, the side character, Rosalind came in and was like, don't do it. <laughs> Both of you are alive. Um, I did really enjoy that scene where like she does her little monologue of like the two houses at war that we don't even know what war we're about and now it has caused the deaths of these teenagers and then yeah, as like Juliet so- starts to come to and she's like what the <laughs> fuck is happening that was I just hilarious. expected Rosalind to just like shove Juliet's head back on the bed <laughs> But I, I now that you bring that up, that makes a lot of sense because at the end of Shakespeare plays, you often get a monologue mm-hmm. kind of explaining like, this is what transpired today and this is the lesson you were supposed to learn, blah, blah, blah. And Rosalind got to give that. So that's really nice to hear. So it is a faithful Shakespeare adaptation. There you go. Whoever says wrong can go fight my English degree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of changing the endings for Catherine called Birdie, so... In that story, so we know that Catherine is slated to marry Shaggy Beard. Shaggy Beard, crusty, so she don't want to marry him. Um, so they get close to the wedding date, and Shaggy Beard dies. So then Catherine does get married, but to Shaggy Beard's son, who is like clean, not so crusty, friendly, and nice. Um, so that story ends in a marriage whereas the adaptation didn't. Um, And it's kind of interesting that the only reason these stories change is because no one dies. Yay. Think about that. (laughs) I mean, the terminology that you decided to use earlier of unaliving, that made me laugh. (laughs) Okay, because it's it's different. Um, They were intentional with that, and I don't want to say the other word. Okay. Um... (laughs) It's the TikTok generation. Yeah, it's the of TikTok us. generation. Sorry, guys, I'm a cusp, but I still use TikTok language. I saw that from the credits. Catherine called Birdie is based off a book. I did not know that going into this, mm-hmm. and uh, to find out that oh, she does marry, but instead in the book, instead of you know staying with a family, I feel like maybe it's told differently. That's why they felt that ending sutured uh, Birdie in the book, whereas like from what we've seen in the movie that felt like the most natural progression for birdie is sort of um living her best life being with her family as for as long as she can mm-hmm. whereas i don't know what happens in the book i i can't say for that so maybe that's how they felt or like it's written a really long time ago and that's how happy endings work back then uh, as for Romeo I mean, and Juliet, yeah, Romeo and Juliet was a long time ago. <laughs> oh, really, really, really long time ago. But I'm much more familiar with the source material because of how insanely popular it is. Um, that one, because I see it as, uh, they always say right, like if it's a comedy, people get married. If it's a tragedy, people die. Mm-hmm. The entire movie of Rosalind is presented as a comedy. So it just wouldn't fit right 
if we let Romeo and Juliet actually die. So that's how I saw it. No, that makes a lot of sense. And like I said, again, if anyone says it's not faithful to Shakespeare. No, Shakespeare would love this. Shakespeare would love this. It does um, have aspects of his work in it. um, But obviously it's made modernized. We don't have the uh, old language that they considered modern then. I mean, at the time of writing his dialogue, Shakespeare was trying to modernize his own words from how it sounded yeah anyway I also so. think it's hilarious that Romeo ended up like reciting sonnets <laughs> in old language and then everyone around was like what the fuck are you saying yeah <laughs> whereas now we hear like if you read Romeo and Juliet or hear Romeo and Juliet it's like a rose by any other name is probably sweet and everybody's like oh my god yeah so what are your takeaways yeah um Probably that it changes my thoughts of plot lines where the woman is forced to get married. Um, if it ends in her own choice, I'm going to like it. Um, but also if it ends in a relationship, I don't mind that either. Dario wasn't that unattractive. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a theme with me that like if there's an attractive person, okay. I'm going to like it a bit more, which is kind of sad. Uh, am I shallow for that? <laughs> no, that's not it. Dario has a personality that not just because of his looks he has a boat that's his personality he gives it away to the happy couple boat it's his personality (laughs) no the personality that we take away from that is that he's generous and he's willing to help Rosalind even though he doesn't know the whole situation and that's fair then we stand Dario (laughs) and then do not stand Andrew Scott because Kelly does not like him and that's fine (laughs) that's fine uh we also do not stand um Joe Alwyn's character because he kissed his uh niece's best friend it's the house of the dragon of it all (laughs) yeah I don't care that he's Taylor Swift's boyfriend he is shady um I don't trust him (laughs) he he is um he is Peter Kavinsky don't even oh, get me started on that. That'll oh, start a whole new episode. <laughs> I feel like you could go a whole way into it. Like he is Peter Kavinsky, you know, just the whole life of idolization and realizing that he is an actual person with flaws and all, and whether you still accept that. Ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so besides me finding Dario attractive, what are your takeaways? <laughs> Um, my takeaways is that personally, I will never find period pieces being modernized old, like just Mm -hmm. give it to me all I will inhale all of this. This is my favorite thing. I will want to hear an old timey ball being set to the tune of dancing off on my own with Robin. The fact that this has happened twice now in 2022. I don't even care. I love it. Um, I think uh, everyone should hire uh, Caitlin Dever. I think everyone should hire Bella Ramsey. I mean, they're yes. both stacked right now, but like everyone should just check out all their old stuff anyway. Continue to stack them. They need the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I just really like these two movies. This is like the fu- most fun uh, double feature that I did in a day it reminded me of like you know back in the day when you buy dvds uh there would be like twos that's what I meant by double feature by the way oh my god that why did I forget about all that that like 
double features in films were a thing. We are still part of the blockbuster generation. It's we are not... we are the tail end of them. Yeah, and we are the ones that like are in the heavy streaming piracy that sort of thing. But we were in a time where we could like get DVDs of two diff- very different movies, but you watch them at the same time because they came together. And this is what Catherine called Birdie and Rosalind is to me. Yeah, it made sense. They, like I said, they had a similar pre- premise, but kind of glad that they had different endings. So yeah. good suggestion. So that's our thoughts on these two wonderfully fun movies. What are you watching right now? Um, I am slacking on watching things, but I am watching House of the Dragon, obviously. Um, kind of behind on that. And my animes, I'm on Spy Family and Chainsaw Man because they're brand new. They're airing weekly. It's like if things don't air weekly, I'm not watching them. And I just finished She-Hulk. Finally, my run at reviewing She-Hulk at Fangirl is over. Not that that was a bad thing, but it's kind of bittersweet that it's done. I'm proud of you. You wrote something every single week for it and Shadows. It's crazy. Thank you. Thank You're you. You're so good at what you do. Those four weeks were killer, but it worked <laughs> out. <laughs> What about you? What you watching? Um, I watched House of the Dragon this morning uh, because in the UK it comes out at 2am so I have to wake up in the morning to watch it because I'm not going to stay up. And I have to watch it first thing because I tend to scroll on Twitter throughout my day. So if I want to <laughs> scroll on Twitter without worries, I have to watch House of the Dragon first thing in the morning um oh that was me with um she hulk like i had because it aired at three in the morning for us like on the the northeast side yeah i had to download it and watch it on my morning commute yeah because it's like come on disney like we we wake up first give it to us at midnight (laughs) they like la better clearly they said who cares i still have a day job Uh, what else am I watching apart from Matt Damon? Uh, I was watching Halfway of the Talented Mr. Ripley. Um, I'm barely into it. It's a movie with uh, actual actor Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> was how the, did House of the Dragon inspire you to watch that? Oh, no. It was just on my Netflix. And I was just like, you know what? I'm waiting for Julia to come online. So let's just watch it a little bit. Oh, <laughs> <Aww>, Okay. <laughs> All right, so a bit of housekeeping. You can follow us at Remote Watch on Twitter, Remote underscore Watch on Instagram. Um, there you can also find the link trees to our personal handles. Julia also guest starred on a little podcast called Six One Podcast Six One Six to talk about She Hulk, and it sounds good. You guys go should go check that out. Episode eight, Ribbit and Rip It. I spent a lot of time talking about Maddie the Zaddy. So if you want more of that, go ahead to Podcast Six One Six. You know, she's cameoing in other podcasts and who knows which one she'll like show up in next. She's going to be the new Matt Murdock in like, <gasps> we don't know which project she's going to show up in Yes! Next. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally up for that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much for listening to us this week. We'll be back soon with something amazing that's going to wow your brains because... You know, we're always talking and we're always watching things. So stay tuned and we'll be back soon. All right. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Remote watch out.